بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد the four actions this kitab that we are busy with hazrat mawlana shah hakim aur dr sahab rahmatullah alay so the fourth action was the aspect of looking after the gaze uh, the heart so the last part of it was left just more or less covered but just to refresh that that it was describing the aspect about thinking it is not sinful if the previous sins come to mind rather it is sinful to bring these thoughts to mind if an evil thought comes to mind one will not be taken to task for it however when an evil thought comes it is haram to thereafter entertain that thought by thinking further about it or to deliberately think of past sins and derive pleasure from it or to plot committing a sin in the future these aspects will incur the displeasure of allah taala another severe harm of thinking evil is that the desire to commit sins is intensified that the person when he's going to engage his mind obviously the heart is going to be impacting on this with this So now when he's going to be engaging his mind about thinking of past sins also sometimes shaitan in a very very devious way gets a person involved in things but the devious way that he's using he puts forward a very very good front the front is something very very noble what is the good front that he puts forward that uh, to make shukr over the tawfiq allah taala gave me the naam out of these sins previously what what i was up to i was doing this i was doing that now doing this and that one is on a general note that the person keeps making toba istighfar about the past that is something that should continue on a general note But now shaitan on the note that well i should be grateful for this tawfiq of allah taala which we should be but that was the the pretext on which he started taking him towards now thinking in detail about the past so now he started thinking in detail about the past the heart got engrossed in it outwardly on a positive note that this was terrible how did i do this and this was also a very bad thing i did and how did i do that but now in thinking about it he started thinking about all the details of it the details of it started creating an inclination again for it so this becomes a means of shaitan drawing a person back into that evil it's a very very delicate matter and something very deep that a person should never ever think of the past sins in that detail yes on a very cursory note ya allah i have been very disobedient in the past i have done so many wrongs allah you forgive me that is ongoing toba and istighfar that a person should be making another severe harm of thinking evil is that the desire to commit sins is intensified one is thinking about past sins that is also as we mentioned in the manner that shaitan gets a person trapped into it to think in that detailed manner that's very harmful and the other is the just getting the mind involved in thinking evil fantasizing and all kinds of other that is an extremely detrimental thing the nur of the heart is completely extinguished the whole direction of the heart changes and the heart becomes inclined towards all those things that a person now he feels that well, i'm just in my in my mind i'm not doing anything 
But this is the starting point that shaitan uses to get the person to do many, many things. After all, the heart is king. And now when the heart is going to be engrossed in this, and the discussion that we have been repeatedly having, that the whole issue is keeping the heart zakir and clearing the ghaflat out of the heart. Now a person deliberately engaging in evil thinking, fantasizing, all kinds of other plotting and scheming, is that heart at that time zakir or in the depths of ghaflat? It's obvious that is in the depths of ghaflat. So this heart being zakir is the very crucial thing. And now this deliberate thinking is going to take that whatever zikr was there in the heart also is going to now drain that out. And like many other things, that once a person indulges in something once, twice, he starts becoming accustomed to it first, then he starts wanting to continue with it. Then it becomes a part of his system, Allah forbid. If it's a good thing, mashallah, very good. He starts doing something good. People find sometimes something very difficult to do, but they push themselves some good work, some nawafil, for example, whatever. Then they carry on persevering. In time, that as we discussed, that, that difficulty goes away, then it becomes very pleasurable. It becomes enjoyable. Unfortunately, the opposite applies as well. That a person sometimes, well, just okay, one time. Then, okay, maybe one more time. And then that one time and one more time, and then he can't refrain from that matter. He becomes deeply addicted to it, whatever it might be. So the thing is that these are things that a person should not even engage his mind in. Just thinking about it, this is a very dangerous thing, very detrimental. As a result, there is a great danger that one will become physically involved in the sin. May Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us from these haram actions. By the barakah of being protected from these sins, it will inshallah become easy to remain safe from all other sins. Note the above mentioned actions, that the beard being equal to one fist, and wearing the garments above the ankles, are for men to practice upon. Women on the other hand should practice on the following two actions, in addition to safeguarding the eyes and the heart, in order to attain the friendship of Allah Ta'ala. So I mentioned two additional things which is directed to women but at the same time the first aspect is something directly related to everybody. That though the address here is to women but it equally applies to men as well. And it's a very very important aspect therefore something to take careful note about. The first aspect in this regard is adopting shari hijab, parda. One sin which has become very widespread and common these days is not adopting the shari hijab, meaning as sharia requires, the kind of hijab and parda that sharia requires. Let alone the common people, the elite and so-called religious people are also involved in this vice of not adopting shari hijab from ghair mahram male relatives. So the same thing applies the other way around, not adopting the proper hijab and parda from non-mahram female relatives. Some women wear the burqa from head to toe when they leave the home, but they do not adopt the hijab from ghair mahram male relatives, whereas this is also a command of the sharia. Actually, adopting hijab from ghair mahram male relatives needs to be given more importance due to the fact that one comes into contact more with relatives than strangers. Therefore, one should be more cautious in this regard. 
the following male relatives are ghair mahram and it is compulsory to adopt hijab from them. Number one, maternal aunt's husband. The maternal aunt's husband. The paternal aunt's husband. The aunt is a mahram. But the, from a woman's perspective, the aunt's husband is not the mahram. So now this is a common issue. Male cousins from the paternal uncle, male cousins from the maternal uncle, the paternal uncle, then sister's husband, all male relatives of the husband except the father-in-law. One should take special caution in regards to brothers-in-law. Once a woman asked Rasulullah as to whether she should adopt the hijab from her brother-in-law. Rasulullah replied, the brother-in-law is death. This means that just as death puts an end to life, similarly not adopting hijab from the brother-in-law will put an end to one's deen. Therefore one should fear the brother-in-law just as one fears death, since there is more fitna involved in the latter case. Hence Rasulullah emphasized this more and warned us in regard to this. The aspect about any wrong, any sin, one is that a person is doing something which is wrong, but the consciousness is there that this is a wrong. Allah forbid, sometimes the person is involved in some major sins. Somebody might be involved in gambling, somebody is involved in some other kind of major sin, somebody is an intoxicant, somebody is committing zina, Allah forbid. These are extremely major sins. But that person has that consciousness in his heart that this is a serious wrong. He is unfortunately involved in it, but he is at the same time conscious of this reality and this fact that this is a terrible sin, what I am doing is a terrible thing and he is ashamed within himself, if there is some consciousness he is ashamed as well. So inshallah if this shame is latched onto, the person that consciousness develops a little further, inshallah with the tawfiq of Allah Ta'ala he will make sincere tawbah and inshallah he will come out of it. He needs just perhaps sometimes just a little bit of somebody coming and just tapping him and guiding him, somebody just giving him some words of encouragement. He just needs to come in the right environment. He just needs to be out of that company that's taking him towards the evils and vices. And inshallah with that little effort, because that feeling is there in the heart that what I'm doing is wrong, is terrible. I shouldn't be doing this. So he just needs a little bit of change of environment sometimes. He just needs a little bit of encouragement. He just needs to hear the right things and inshallah he'll come out of it. He just needs sometimes a little bit of that help. But the other is, sometimes a person is doing something which might not be comparatively as serious in terms of the action itself. There are various levels of things, various levels and categories of sin. No sin is to be regarded in itself as trivial. The categories that the fuqaha have stated of some sins are kabira, major, and some sins are sagira, that is a fiqhi classification, there is a very broad detail to it, that why some have been classified as kabira and major, some class, so this is in its place, that has its discussion in its place, but for a mu'min, every sin 
is a serious thing. Because every sin is disobedience of Allah Ta'ala. So in his heart, there isn't a matter of a small sin and a big sin. Because the only difference is that a small sin is like a small ember, burning ember. And a big sin is a big inferno. But does any sane person say, well, this is a small ember only. Just a little bit of coal that is just burning small little. You can hold it in your hand too. So put it in your pocket. Take it in your hand. Which sane person does that? Nobody. Mistake, anybody can make a mistake. In, by mistake, Allah forbid a person can fall in a big fire too. But no sane person deliberately even holds that ember. So likewise, that's the only difference between a major sin and a minor sin in terms of that one is a small ember and the other is a big inferno. But the end result can become the same. That inferno will burn the person up in maybe seconds and the small ember might take maybe sometimes one hour. But Allah forbid, if he doesn't take quick action to douse that, to remove that from him, in time this too can lead to the same end result, can destroy his deen. So, in any case, the classifications are in his place. Now, sometimes as we are talking about, that something might not be as major as compared to these actions in itself, in terms of the classification that the fuqaha has made. But the person has no concept in his heart also that this is wrong. He's not even conscious that this is a sin. Without that consciousness of this even being a sin, without that concern or that feeling in the heart that this is wrong, though in itself in terms of the classification, this is comparatively minor. But when it's done in that manner where the person doesn't even think it wrong, this has gone far beyond that major sin. For that person, in itself, the classifications that the fuqaha have made, it's probably falling in the category of minor sin. But when he is involving himself in it, without even any consciousness that this is a sin, that this is wrong, that this is something to refrain from, that this is a disobedience of Allah Ta'ala, then this will take it far beyond even that major sin for him in terms of the effect and in terms of the severity that what is he up to that he is not regarding that sin as evil as harmful now, unfortunately very often this particular aspect that we are discussing let alone regard it as wrong as something to refrain from when somebody decides that I want to do the right thing find many becoming an obstacle in it what's wrong with you and where you brought all these new things from now, the reason for discussing or mentioning this is that on the one hand, we should never ever regard anything as minor. The classification, whatever it is, we shouldn't regard it as minor. We shouldn't regard it as small. Because we start regarding it as small, Allah forbid, then well, it's small, that small then becomes smaller in our hearts, and that smaller becomes in Na'udhu nothing. Whereas it is not nothing. It won't ever regard it as small. Whatever it is, if it is something that Allah forbid we are getting caught up in or whatever, my weakness, it's wrong, I must stop it. Keep making toba, keep making istighfar, keep begging Allah Ta'ala's help. Keep having the regret and remorse. That regret and remorse is the key to coming out of it someday inshallah. With the fuzzle of Allah Ta'ala. Someday that regret will reach a point where the fuzzle of Allah Ta'ala will come. 
So never to regard anything as small, to be very remorseful of some, any mistake. It happened by chance, it's a mistake, insan is insan, he can slip up. But that Tawbah and sincere istighfar will inshallah bring him ahead. The second thing is that something is our weakness, but somebody else is trying to step ahead. Somebody else is trying to do the right thing. Somebody else wants to do what he is going to take them closer to Allah Ta'ala. We should never ever become an obstacle in that. Never. It might be something that we might get affected by it. For example, now somebody in the family circle has decided they are going to do the right thing. They are going to adopt the proper parada and hijab from all the non-mahrams. Now maybe that's going to put us, for whatever reason, we are still not taking that step forward, which shouldn't be the case, but for whatever reason, we're not taking it forward. Now we think, if this person is going to do it, he's going to make me look odd. So now make me look odd because I'm not yet doing it. So now I'll be looking odd. So the way now to try and just keep myself out of that odd situation, what I'm calling myself odd in, is to discourage him also. Tell him, well, you see, nowadays, you mustn't become too extreme. And... Uh, you must take everything one step at a time now. You're going to start to start trying too high, you'll fall. Now the poor person is only still trying to walk. We tell him you'll try to start flying too high, you'll fall. Instead of encouraging him to walk better, we're already telling him, no, you're flying already too high. Now this is worse than what we are doing. One is reading the wrong, and then we are discouraging somebody else something what is right. Whereas the Quran Sharif says, وَتَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْبِرْضِ وَالتَّقْوَى وَلَا تَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْإِثْمِ وَالْعُدْوَانِ Help one another in acts of virtue and righteousness. Don't assist one another in aspects of sin and transgression. Now, that is helping the person to do the wrong thing. Encouraging him to do the wrong. Allah forbid this is a very, very major sin. To help or to encourage somebody towards wrong. That is sometimes worse than the sin itself. Because one is the encouragement that a person is giving, that is already a sin. And then whatever sin that person is going to commit, this person too is going to bear the sin. He even didn't even do that wrong. But he became the catalyst to it. He will bear the sin as well. So, something is our weakness, we acknowledge our weakness. Somebody is doing the right thing, what you are doing is right. This is my weakness. What I am doing is wrong. What you are doing is right. Allah Ta'ala give you tawfiq. Allah Ta'ala give me tawfiq also. That inshallah will open the door for us also. So we don't ever become an obstacle in somebody else's way forward. Just in order to protect our ego, just for the sake of our material benefit, for the sake of anything else that we feel we want to secure in terms of dunya, we don't try to stop somebody else's progress in deen. Because that is a very big plot of shaitan. And we are becoming the agent of shaitan in that. So in that same matter is this aspect as well, that... Somebody, mashallah, the consciousness came in his heart, he wants to do something, and the person who decides to make a change in this regard, so more often than not, it's not just a simple thing of making an announcement and everything will just come right and fall in place. More often than not, it is a kind of struggle. Because one of the most difficult things to change is what things have become entrenched in society. Things that have become people's custom and norm. Things that have become people's ways and habits. To change this is among the most difficult things. And therefore Rasulullah sometimes took such drastic action to change norms. 
to change mindsets. In the times of Jahiliya, one of the things that was a kind of, well it was Jahiliyat obviously, but in the times of Jahiliyat also, people used to make Hajj. From the time of Ibrahim Islam, this has been coming down. So in their own way, and in a very wrong way sometimes, Na'uzubillah, they would even come and make tawaf of the Kaaba Sharif completely naked and say that the clothing that we committed sin in, how are we going to make tawaf in this? This is shaitan's traps. Can we imagine how shaitan, what a wonderful front shaitan puts. But when there's ignorance, when there's ignorance, then a person in the guise of doing something good, he does the worst evils. He gets caught up in the worst wrongs with the front of good. So shaitan puts no, total ignorance, in the total ignorance, they're not thinking that what stupidity we're getting ourselves, what obscenity we're getting ourselves involved in. But now the, what a wonderful front shaitan put for them. And now in this ignorance, anything that sounds good, anything that looks very attractive in some form, that gets taken wholesale. So now in that ignorance of their shaitan put this in their hearts and minds. That uh, this clothing, you commit all your sins in it, and now you're going to make ta'af with this clothing. So now take this clothing off and make the off. So now that common expression of jumping from the fire, from the frying pan into the fire. So in any case in that time they used to still come for Hajj as well. There was one concept in their minds. That concept was that in the days of Hajj, if somebody comes and makes Umrah, Umrah used to take place also, in their own ways, in the Jaliyat way, there were some things that had been still preserved from the way of Ibrahim and they mixed up their own things into it, but in the broad structure was still there. So now there was this concept in their minds that in the days of Hajj to perform Umrah is min afjaril fujur. It's the worst sin a person can commit. It's a jailiyah thing. Then Islam came. Now Islam, obviously, everybody had now left jahiliyat. But this these aspects of jahiliyat sometimes they stay at the back of the mind to some extent something still keeps sort of niggling so now when the time came for Rasulullah to perform hajj Nabi made hijrat went over to Madinah Munawwara and then all the years that passed in Madinah Sharif and now Nabi Salaam is coming for hajj now this is the first time most of the sahaba are coming for hajj as well so from the time of jahiliyah then they made hijrat, they came into Islam, then they made hijrat, and then they came to Makkah, Makkah Madinah, Munawwara. Now for the first time they're coming for hajj after this. Now this jahiliya thing was perhaps still somewhere niggling in some minds, maybe some minds. When Nabi Islam came, they left from Madinah, Munawwara with the intention of hajj. <coughs> now there were those who, now it's a detailed explanation and many technical aspects in it, but just to get to the main point. So people had left with the intention of Hajj. When they came close to Makkah Mukarramah, Nabi Islam said that those who did not bring that Hadi along, meaning the animal for Qurbani and sacrifice, so that now a separate Masla applies to that, then they must now cancel this intention of Hajj for now. Fasqul Hajji ilal Umrah. They must make Umrah now. Already the days of Hajj meaning from the first of Shawwal is the days of Hajj. And the time of Jahiliyyad, Anything in this time now, from the first of Shawwal till Hajj is over, to perform Umrah was the worst sin a person can commit. In order to just make sure that there is no remnant of this left in any mind, 
There's no remnant, not even that little niggling aspect in anybody's heart. Having left with the intention of Hajj, but closer to Makkah, Mukarramah, Nabi Salaam gave the command that the Sfaskul Hajjil al-Umrah. And the reason the Muhaddisin explained was that this aspect of Jahiliyat must be uprooted in such a way that this doesn't ever rear its head till Qiyamah. That in the days of Hajj, Nabi Salaam gave the command for Umrah. And now they made Umrah and then later on they put on the Ihram of Hajj. Now this is just a lesson that norms and things that have become norms in society have become customs, have become habits of people, have become entrenched in family circles, coming down from generations. To turn this around doesn't happen so easily. That is why despite the fact that the Sahaba had the most clear hearts, most firm Iman, and they had abandoned Jahiliyat in totality, but in order to just clear out any remnant that could have existed in any heart and mind and to sh- make sure that this gets uprooted till Qiyamah, Nabi Islam took this major step because this is to the extent which things can still lurk in the heart somewhere. So what the whole point here is that this is among the most difficult things to turn around, things that have become norms in society, norms in families, norms in, and customs. So the point is that the person, number one, should not expect things will happen overnight. Number two, he should not lose courage. Number three, he must be patient. And number four, he started off doing what is right, he must continue doing what is right. In that process, he will sometimes have to hear some things, he will have to bear some criticism of some sort, hear some kind of negative comments, but quietly and Cheerfully, carry on doing the right thing. Quietly and cheerfully, carry on doing the right thing. Where he has the opportunity, he is able to explain to somebody, explain to the person. If that's not something somebody is ready to understand or accept or digest, then just make sabar. Because progress in deen hasn't happened without sabar. That's part and parcel of the whole package. person wants to get closer to Allah Ta'ala, the Sahaba bore being dragged on the sands of Makkah Mukarramah. They bore the various difficulties that were placed upon them. But that didn't deter them from the path that they had taken. That now we want to get to Allah Ta'ala. So these small minor things, these are nothing in comparison to that. These little sacrifices sometimes have to be made. But those who patiently bore these few things, in time they became the means of the whole system changing. And everybody then finally came onto the pattern that they set. So, it, somebody needs to take the step, somebody needs to take the courage, but these are things that we need to be, at least the least is, the very, very least, that we number one, acknowledge wrong is wrong. In our hearts and minds, we are very clear about it, and even verbally we express it too, this is my weakness, is my wrong, it's wrong. We don't try to justify the wrong in any way, we don't even try to minimize the wrong. You see, times have changed now. They can't become too extreme. No, it's my wrong. What I'm doing is wrong. It's my weakness. We don't try to minimize the wrong. And number two, we don't ever become an obstacle in somebody else's way who's trying to do what is right. We're not doing the right. We at least encourage the right. Inshallah, that will become a means of us doing the right as well.
Hazrat then quotes one little couplet of one poet that because of this lack of parda and hijab etc the last point that was discussed was about the brother-in-law so in this regard as it says a poet has said aajkal parda dari ka ye natija nikla jisko samjhe the ke beta hai bhatija nikla so this is the consequence of not adopting parda and not upholding the laws of hijab etc that this has unfortunately become the situation that sometimes a person thought that this is my son it turned out to be his nephew unfortunately these are the tragic realities very very tragic situations that from time to time come up this might sound far fetched is not far fetched and this is something being said just for ibrad it is being said for ibrad that we should take a lesson and not compromise on the laws of deen allah taala has given us whatever is for our protection whatever command allah taala has given us is for our good it's for our izzat for our honor for our well being in dunya and akhirat so we should make every effort to adopt all the laws of allah taala and in this way we will progress in deen and inshallah will become the means of others progressing in deen as well allah taala give us the tawfiq inshallah we'll continue subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu